Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. When you find out that something is toxic, what do you do with toxic things in your life? Uh, when we first moved to Whatcom County, I had a friend take us out to go clam digging. Anybody ever go clam digging out at Birch Bay? A few, few of you, right? So clam digging, it's like a perfect lazy man way to forage, right? Because you just dig a hole and you have like 35 clams to take home. It's, it's really pretty simple. And so my friend took me out and I thought this was great and I, I wanted to take my kids. And so I took my kids out to Birch Bay like two weeks later and I rolled in and there was a sign there that hadn't been there two weeks ago. You guys know what the sign is, right? The red tide warning sign. It shut us down, right? I, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen that before. I didn't know what the red tide warning was all about, but apparently shellfish can be toxic. And um, so I was really bummed out, and, and my kids were bummed out. It's just a really, like, you ever have one of those bad dad moments where you're like, oh, man, I, I failed my kids. They'll never be the same. They'll never recover. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that. But, you know, but later I read about, like, what... To, what these toxins can do, and, it, and has anybody read up on that? It's actually kind of terrifying. Like, it's not just food poisoning. I mean, these, the toxins in shellfish can actually shut down your nervous system. Like, they can, they can give you, um, they, can, they can make you forget who you are. They can give you amnesia. They can paralyze you, and they can even kill you. Like, it's really serious. And I know that there's only a handful of those kind of cases every year, but still, like, I don't want to take that chance, right? It's like the worst lottery you can take. Um, so, you know, regardless of how, how minor the poisoning might be, if the state senses anything, they shut down the beach to harvesting. And I was thinking, you know, we tend to be super careful with our bodies when it comes to what we put in it. Like, we don't want to surround our, our own bodies with toxins. Um, but what about our souls? Like, if we knew that there was something killing our soul, if we knew there was something that was harmful to our spirit, what do we do about it? Because I think often we're, we're way more comfortable with spiritual toxins than we are with physical toxins. We allow things to kind of take root in our spirit when we don't allow toxins to enter our body. And so today as we look at Matthew 23, we're going to talk about the idea of toxic religion. Is religion toxic? Um, because what we see in this chapter is that religion can be pretty toxic. Um, this is a chapter where Jesus lets loose on the religious pride of the Pharisees. Like he goes from debating them to, to just landing punch after punch on the Pharisees. He goes into a full attack mode and he just, this is a chapter where he just exposes all of the toxic ways of religion that the Pharisees have bought into. And so in the scene is that Jesus had been just debating the Pharisees and talking to them, and now he's turning to the crowd to teach them, this is a warning, don't go in the way of the Pharisees. Don't give in to the toxins that, that the Pharisees have given in to. He's trying to teach the crowd, don't, don't go this way. And in the middle of these warnings, he, he gives seven woes. W-O-E-S. He gives seven woes. He says seven times, woe to you Pharisees. 
And what's interesting about scripture is that the Pharisees were the only group of people that Jesus ever said woe to. He never said woe to the tax collectors and the prostitutes, woe to the sinners. He didn't say woe to the demon possessed. He didn't say woe to the oppressive Roman government. He saved his woes for the people who thought they were most religious, for the people who considered themselves the most worthy of God's approval. I want to look at this idea of woe. What is woe? So the, the Greek word is ouai. That's kind of fun to say. Ouai, and it's this exclamation of both pain and anger. It's a pained response that comes deep from the heart. And so when Jesus cries woe over the Pharisees, this is what's happening. It's, he's, he's saying it's wrath plus sorrow. He's expressing God's wrath, but he's also expressing God's sorrow. Like, you guys, he's grieved that they missed the point. He's grieved that they missed it. This is not a, a, the God of vengeance saying, finally, they'll get what's coming to them. This is God saying, oh, I can't believe that they missed it. And this doesn't mean that grace wouldn't still be available to the Pharisees if they turned and accepted Jesus, but continually they've shut the door on Jesus time and time again, and now they're just days away from putting Jesus on the cross. So all they can expect to receive is God's wrath and God's sorrow over them. And this idea of woe, it just shows us the depth of how dangerous religion can be. And it's not that the idea of religion is bad, you know, originally the word religion was just synonymous with worship. It's just what you worship. But religion in our culture, it's dangerous when it becomes about an outward show more than about an inward change. When religion becomes a show, it becomes toxic. If our worship of God is just a show instead of something that's active and life-giving, that's creating change in our lives, then it's toxic. It's dead. And so this week, as I spent time in this chapter, I was self-reflective. I was like, God, what are the areas in my life where I've allowed things to become a show and, and not real, where I haven't been authentic in my faith? And, and this passage really is like a mirror that shows you, like, no, this is where you're at. Watch out for these dangers. And so hopefully today we can treat this passage like a mirror to our hearts, that we could hold it up and say, okay, where are the areas where I've allowed my relationship with God to become a show and inauthentic. And so we're going to dive in today, and as we do, um, we're going to see three lies that we believe from toxic religion. There's three lies of toxic religion that Jesus reveals in this passage. And so let's start. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 23, verse 1. And Jesus says this, then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to move them with their finger. So here we see that Jesus exposes there's a big difference between what the Pharisees say and what they do. That's the biggest thing. There's a huge difference between what they say and what they do. Um, they sit in Moses' seat, which means they have this position of power, and they teach Moses' law, which is right, but they're not living it out. So he's saying, yeah, follow the, the law, follow what they're teaching, but don't follow them, because they're off track. They're not practicing the law with their heart. 
And this kind of gets back to Jesus' main point about Pharisees, that they're actors, they're pretenders. There shouldn't be any pretending. You know, Jesus wants us to be who we are or where we're at. We don't need to pretend like we have things all together. You know, they, these Pharisees know the truth, but they're not practicing it. They're not living it out. They're just focused on the show. And, and worse than that, while they didn't actually do what God wanted themselves, they expected others to do it. They wanted to hold other people accountable, but not themselves. And so Jesus uses this cultural metaphor of overloading an animal. It's like they were putting more and more weight on an animal until it actually injured the animal. And that's like what they were doing to people. They were just loading them with burdens that they couldn't bear. Like if you want to belong, like you have to do A, B, and C, and it was just too much for the people to bear. And the Pharisees were sort of merciless. Like they didn't really care about where people were at or what their struggles with. They were just loading burden after burden. And so this is the first lie that I think this reveals. The lie is that God favors me because I believe all the right things. That's the lie of toxic religion. God favors me because I believe all the right things. When the truth is, right knowing must lead to right doing. If we believe something, we need to live it out. Jesus reveals that just because you believe all the right things, it doesn't earn you special favor with God. You know, you can know the scripture and not live it out, right? There's a big difference. So our question that we have to wrestle with is what are we doing with what we're learning? What are we doing with Jesus? What are we doing um, with all of our knowledge? Are we sitting on it or is it being absorbed into our life? Is it changing us? Um, Bob Goff put it this way. Uh, I like Bob. Um, He said this. He said, "If if our heads are full, and our hearts are empty, we'll just tip over. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Like if, if we're constantly filling our lives with head knowledge, but nothing is translating into our lives, like we just, we're out of balance, like we tip over. Because right knowing, knowing the right things has to lead to something. It has to have an outlet. Our faith has to have an outlet. We can't just keep learning and learning about God without putting something into practice. Because I think if we're, if we're not actually doing what God wants, then knowledge just becomes something that we can hide behind, right? Like the Pharisees sort of hid behind the knowledge that they had. We can hide behind Bible reading. We can hide behind church activity um, and not really do what's really important to God's heart. Um, the Pharisees hid behind their knowledge, and what happened is they ended up focusing on smaller things and smaller things. They were missing the big, big things, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, but they were really, really focused on the small details of Scripture. Um, that's why Jesus says later in this passage, and in, in, this is in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Um, which, which is, uh, in, in that language, gnat and camel rhymed, so it, it made more sense. But you get the idea, right? <laughs> I'm just trying. 
Um, but the pharaohs, the, the, pharaohs uh, the Pharisees, they zero in on the small issues. Like, they, they don't want to worry about the big things. Yeah, you know, loving people, mercy, justice, but we're going to zero in on the, on the minor issues. And they, here they zero in on tithing. It's like 10%. You know, watch this. I can give 10%. I'm not only going to give 10% of my income. I'm going to give 10% of the herbs that I grow in my garden. You know, you can just imagine a Pharisee, like, you know, sitting with a pile of herbs, and maybe he's got some tweezers, and he's just like, divide, how do you divide 10% of that? You know, weight, maybe, I don't know what scales they used, but you can imagine, here they are fussing over herbs, and and they're abandoning people who are hurting, the poor, the needy, you know, and and they, they they look at this pile of herbs, and they're thinking, man, God must be pleased for what I'm doing. But Jesus says, you know, they're doing the, the, the minute things, but they're missing the big things. They're missing justice. They're missing mercy. They're missing faithfulness. They're not helping the poor. They're not showing mercy on those who are hurting. They're not pr- praying for healing. They're not going after people who are far from God. Instead, they're allowing their knowledge to put a bubble around them. And so a good question for us is our knowledge of Jesus, is it pushing us closer to others, to help others, or is it causing us to withdraw? Is it causing us to to pull away from people? Because I think today it's easy for us to make our faith our own little thing, like our own little walk. We can insulate ourselves from the world. Um, We can have our own, like, Christian world and Christian friends and kind of block everybody else out. You know, we can have And I think maybe a modern-day equivalent is having scriptures on your wall but not being willing to go across the street to visit a neighbor or see a neighbor. And that's kind of our human tendency. It's just to retreat to safety instead of taking these bold steps of faith. And so maybe if we recognize that in our lives, what if this week, what if we prayed for courage to break out of whatever bubble we have ourselves in, whatever we're keeping ourselves from, whether it's other people, Um, or whether it's from God, whether we're choosing not to be present with God. Um, What if we pressed in in courage instead of retreating? Jesus continues in verse 5. He says this. He says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad. I'll explain what those are in a minute. And their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And then he turns to his disciples and he says this. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So here in the beginning, we have, you know, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They were showy. It was important that others perceive them as righteous. And so these phylacteries, they were actually rolls of scripture that they would put on their head and their hands that literally said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So they would wear it on their person, but it wasn't in their heart. And that was the difference. It was, you know, they had these, the stuff on the outside, but it didn't actually penetrate the inside of the heart. And, um, 
and they were more concerned about what others saw, and, and so much so that they cared more about their titles than anything else. And so we're going to get into that. The next lie we see is this. The lie that these Pharisees believed is, they, is this, that I am central to God's plan. I am important to God's plan. And the truth is that Jesus is central to God's plan, and he uses those who are fully submitted to him. See, our pride says, I am important, like God is lucky to have me. Um, you know, and they put themselves at the center of God's plan. You know, they had this inflated sense of importance, and so they obsessed over the honor they were being shown. And they wanted the best seats in the house, and they wanted people to call them rabbi and special greetings. And I know I'm standing up here, and I have the title of pastor, right? So it's like, it creates some tension in me. Because I notice what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, don't call people rabbi, father, or instructor. And so what do I do with that as a pastor? You know, and I, I thought about this. And, and um, Jesus doesn't, the, the truth is that Jesus doesn't want anyone in the kingdom to have an elevated sense of importance. Jesus doesn't want to emphasize any one person's sense of importance. And actually, when that happens, pride sets in. And, 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 and it actually um, can be destructive. And, and as I've wrestled with my own title of pastor, and obviously there are other pastors, people we've called pastors, I've asked that question, does that mean we shouldn't call someone pastor? Or we shouldn't call someone by a title? And I just think that we have to be very careful that we're not elevating anyone's sense of importance. Now, the, the idea of pastor is that it's, it's like other, like we all have gifts, and the past, being a pastor is one gift. It's the gift of shepherding. It's the gift of leadership and spiritual health. So it is a gift. And so what I think, what I've concluded so far, is that it's okay to recognize that someone has a, a spiritual gift. Like, like Steve over here has the gift of evangelism. It would be okay for me to call Steve an evangelist, but only to affirm that that's what God's done. Does that make sense? Am I being clear? Only to affirm like God's given you this vocation of evangelism. You connect with people better than so many other people. Like you just kind of love to talk about Jesus. And so in the same way, I think it's, it's okay to affirm that someone's a pastor, but not to um, not to set them up or to elevate them at all. So, um, I, like, I have a friend who told his congregation, don't call me pastor. Like, he changed his job title because what he felt like it was doing, it was giving him more importance than other people or maybe putting him on a higher pedestal than others. And if, if that's the case, I want to protect us against that too. Like, call me Tyler, okay? Like, I'm, I am good with that. Um, but it is okay when we see, because we all have gifts, and we need to affirm each other in those gifts, whatever they are. Because the point is this, is that no one, is, no one can be your conduit to God except Jesus. No one can replace Jesus as your conduit to God. Leaders can help equip you and encourage you and correct you, but Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the source of life. So when we place the weight that we should be putting on Jesus, on other people, um, they actually end up failing us because we find out they're not Jesus. 
that they're not perfect, that they are human. And Jesus actually designed us to fit together as one body, one body of Christ, where, where we are all of equal importance. It's not that we're not important, it's that we're all of equal importance, that what you're doing for the kingdom is as important as what I'm doing for the kingdom, as is what is important as what Stephen's doing for the kingdom. Like, we're all equally important. And so if we go around acting like we're God's gift to the church or we're God's gift to Blaine, we're actually God's gift to nobody, all right? And uh, God has a calling that he's created you for, but here's the other thing about importance. When we think we're too important, we do things that we might not do, we shouldn't probably do. We think that it's all on us, that if we don't act, the mission of God will fail. Right? We put too much pressure on ourselves. Uh, and this is, this is kind of illustrating that problem. Um, several years ago, there was a pastor named Graham Cook who painted a picture of how out of whack the body of Christ kind of had become. And he said that, you know what, today in church, what we have is we have a mouth and just a massive bottom. And he's English, so that massive bottom sounded really more authoritative. <laughs> Um, but he said, that's what we have. We have a mouth and just a massive bottom. And that's not a picture of Christ, right? That's not what it's supposed to be. And so for years, the church has been making the mouth louder and the bottom bigger, right? And we've got to change that. Like, that's not God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church is that we're interdependent, that we function together, that it's, it's not something where we show up once a week and, and go home. Like, it's supposed to work together, like having a few stressed out leaders and, and a bunch of people who are loosely affiliated, like that's not, that doesn't represent Jesus uh, to the world. And I feel like we're a church in our infancy, like we're a young church, and we have an opportunity to get this right. We have an opportunity to equally empower each other to walk into what God's called each of us to walk into. You have opportunities I don't have. You have giftings that I don't have. Like, let's help each other recognize those things and walk in those things. Because, like, when we walk in our strengths, like, that's freedom. When we love people from our strengths, like, that, that is freedom, and it brings joy to Christ. Because the truth is, is that we can't do it all by ourselves. We can't do it all by ourselves. Like, Jesus can do it all, but we can't. And I know this because the times where I've tried to be other people's saviors, I've failed them. I've failed them by trying to do it all for people. And what I find is that my love runs out, my time runs out. Like, I just, I run out of me. Like, it's got to be a greater source. And that source is Jesus. You can't be the savior of the world, but you can point people to the one who is. And so that leads us to the last point here. Jesus says this in verse 13. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice, this is strong language, twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Like, Jesus is not holding back here, guys. But this is the ultimate tragedy. 
The ultimate tragedy of acting religious versus following Jesus is that we're actually denying people entrance into the kingdom of God. So we're actually preventing people from seeing Jesus. Jesus is saying that neither the Pharisees nor their disciples will enter the kingdom of God. Like they're leading them astray. They're leading them to care about the wrong things, to do the wrong things, to not rely on God, but rely on themselves. Like they're training them in completely the wrong way. And they're leading people astray. And this, I think, is the big lie, the biggest lie. Uh, from toxic religion, it's this, is that some people are too far from God to change. This is a lie that believes that some people are too far from God to change, and the truth is that Jesus can change anybody. Jesus can change any life. You know, could it be that the reason that Jesus saved woe for the Pharisees is that they weren't just deceiving themselves, but they were deceiving others? that they were actually leading others to stay, that they withheld God from people that they thought were too unclean to enter, that they would actually withhold God. See, what I think the Pharisees were is they were the anti-gospel. They were the gospel that said, you need to behave before you can belong here. They were the gospel that said, you need to shape up before you, you enter into our fellowship, like you are unclean. And the heart of Jesus is the exact opposite. We don't belong because we behave. We belong because Jesus died for our sins and we can all belong. It's nothing that we did. We can belong before we behave because what God does is he changes us from the inside out. And so we don't have to handle all the expectations uh, that people would place on us before we can belong. You know, I find it interesting right now, and this might be a weird note to end on, but uh, anybody following what's going on with Kanye West recently? A little bit? Like, that is interesting. Like, it is, it is crazy what's going on with Kanye West. If you didn't know, Kanye West is, is a really, really uber-famous rapper. He's married to Kim Kardashian. Um, like, he's just a, a, a super high-profile guy, and, like, what was it, two weeks ago, he had announced that he had become a Christian, and he released this album that literally the title is Jesus is King, right? Like, that's pretty crazy. And, you know, Kanye, I mean, he's had, if you followed him at all, like, he's been in the news for all the wrong reasons in the past, um, but this is just confusing people. Like, if you watch late night television, they're asking him, like, how can we really know that you've changed? And his answers are actually pretty good. Um, and many Christians have embraced Kanye in this album, which I think is awesome. But I also, I also read some really negative, like, reviews from Christians, and it made me scratch my head a little bit. Like, this is a new Christian we're talking about, and here a magazine is criticizing him for being too prosperity-focused or too American or, or too this, too that, and they're saying, like, his conversion is not real. And can I just say, can we shut up on that? Like, <laughs> just, like... Can we withhold the criticism? Like, who are we to judge, right? Like, God is at, at work. Like, I, I heard someone said that, that um, there's been more Google hits for Christianity in the last two weeks than there has been for a long time. You know, so whatever's happening, like God is using this, and it's, it's not our job as the church to decide if someone's conversion is real or not. It's our job to come alongside and pray and support and love, right? 
And Kanye is just the biggest example of the moment, but what about people who are with us right now or walk into church and you know I know a lot of people who've accepted Jesus and then they disappear and I think the reason is maybe we're not letting them in are we letting people in are we loving people walking with people supporting people encouraging people that are new to the faith or are they getting our cold shoulder are we overloading? May, we, might we not be, might, so, yep, 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 sorry. <laughs> that was nice. That was really nice. Johnny, edit that one out, okay? <laughs> or at least send it to Warner Brothers and see if they can use it. Um, <laughs> like, do people feel safe with the church? Like, loved, supported, like, when they come to faith, do they feel like people are there to help love them and help them grow? Like, that's what, that's the kind of church I want to be. You know, like, let's walk with people right where they're at. Let's not start getting critical. Oh, your theology's messed up. Well, yeah, you've been a Christian for two weeks, okay? Like, let's give it some time. Um, so that's the question for our community. Are we going to leave people on their own to figure this out? Or are we going to walk with people? Are we going to leave people on, on their own to figure Jesus out? Are we actually going to commit to walking and loving people? Because that's the kind of environment that I want to be a part of. Because we're all weighed down. We are all weighed down. We're all fighting sin. Like all of us, we all are in this struggle with sin. And so we need to go out of our way. Just like God has shown patience to you, you need to go show patience to other people. Just like God reached out to you when you were hurting, you also need to go reach out to other people. Are you willing to extend the same amount of patience to others that God has extended to you? And I'm not saying that we, you know, ignore sin, we don't correct, or we don't do those things, but we actively love, and we encourage, and we build up. The last thing that I want us to be guilty of is withholding the kingdom of God from people, holding back. That's the last thing I want to be guilty of, you know, because I believe that Jesus can heal any soul. I believe that Jesus can save anyone. Do you agree with that? You know, many of you, many of you have been hurt by the church in the past because you've run into toxic religion. Many of you have been hurt by the church where you've gone and you've seen that what somebody said is not what they practiced. And if any, you get anything today, I want you to see that that is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus attacked that head on with his strongest language. The, 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 uh, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of religious people does not reflect the heart of Jesus. And Jesus wants to make it clear that the religious behavior of outwardly pious people doesn't reflect his heart for you that he stands as a father waiting to embrace a son who's been gone for a long time, that he's calling you home, that his love for you never stops and never gets up, gives up. Like, it's concrete. And the reason I know it's concrete is because it came, became concrete on a cross where Jesus bled and died for you. Nothing can top that. No act of love can top that. If, if you need to know that you're accepted, just look to the cross and you'll find your acceptance. So this morning as we close, as the band comes up, I, I wanna ask you, as we sit and think about, we've looked in the mirror, maybe you've looked in the mirror this morning, 
I just want you to ask yourself, what needs to change? What needs to change in my life? Do I, do I need to just, just lay down any religious pride that I, I've had? Do I need to stop thinking that I'm God's greatest gift to blame? Um, do I need to stop valuing safety over courage and stop hiding? Or do I just need to come to Jesus, but I've been afraid to because I've seen toxic religion at work in the world? And I want to encourage you this morning as we close to give whatever that is to God, to, to, to allow him to change you. Like this isn't something, this isn't a message where I look at you and say, try harder. We give all of our mistakes to God and allow him to change us from the inside out. It starts with surrender. So I want to encourage, encourage you to do that. Surrender whatever is holding you back this morning. And as we close in worship, um, there's going to be a prayer team over here. I would love to pray with you. If you want to pray with someone, we, we really want that. So um, you can pray with us. Uh, team's going to come forward to collect our tithes and our offerings uh, while we close. Um, but let's pray. God, we are just, just w- this week, God, as I read these words, I was just so challenged, God. I was so challenged by the ways where I thought that I didn't need you and I could just put on a show. I was challenged by how easy it is to slip into a religious mindset instead of being in relationship with you that sets us free. So God, I pray that whatever the struggle is for people today, that you would meet them where they're at, that, you would, that your spirit would meet them, that, that everyone here would know that they're not alone in their struggle against sin whatever that sin may be, God. That they're not alone in their struggle to find out what the truth is. That they're not alone, God. Lord, you say, come to me and I will give you rest. Lord, if there are religious burdens that we've been carrying for years, I pray that you would help us to lay those down at the cross and find the freedom of the easy yoke of following Jesus that you invite us, God, into life that's real. You invite us into relationship that's authentic, God, that, and a love that will never go away. Jesus, I thank you that you were obedient to God and you went to the cross for us, God. You went to the cross so that we could experience forgiveness. You went to the cross so that we could be set free. And Jesus, I pray that if we feel, God, if, we, if, if you've shown us, God, ways that we've gone astray, that we could just take whatever that is and, and lay it at the cross because there's, it's not about working harder. It's about surrendering, God, laying it all down for relationship with you. Help us to do that this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.